0: would also be edified. We just, um, we want to hear from you, God. We bless this word in Jesus' name. Amen. Is this yours, sir? No. Amen. Thank you. (coughs) Whoop. I've been informed that um, the group that is visiting with us have to leave early to get a um a bus, so if a whole bunch of people get up and mo- leave in the middle of my sermon We're used to it, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jim. <laughs> I know I can always rely on you. <laughs> So when um, when you move house or change job, um, in some ways you become a new person, right? You have to construct a new identity. You move house, and so when people ask you where you live, you have to give a different answer. <clears throat> you may change the kind of work you're doing, maybe from doing manual work to working at a desk or the other way around. So the way you dress when you go to work changes. Um... You identify yourself differently when you answer the phone, which can be embarrassing. If you change your job and you forget that you're in your new job, and you just kind of go on autopilot and you know answer the phone as if you were at your old job, I've actually done that. That's not it's not it's not cool. Um, many of us here have changed location and job many times, so we know what it is to have multiple identities floating around inside of our heads, right? For some of us. The identity that we have when we go back to our home church in our passport country is very different from the identity that we share with people here, with our neighbors, if they ask us who we are, right? We have different identities. When we lived in Peshawar, Pakistan, both Marilyn and I wore local clothing most of the time. Trust me, when it's you know, in the mid-40s Celsius and 80-90% humidity, you want to be wearing shower kameez, you don't want to be wearing Western clothes. But when we moved back to Canada, we had to get rid of most of our Pakistani clothing. And sometimes in the summer here, I wish I had my Pakistani clothing again. But that clothing belonged to that old life, right? Um, that other person who lived and worked there. And we were seeking to reinvent ourselves and become Canadian again. And those clothes and other things just didn't belong with that life. So getting rid of old clothing is an image that Paul uses to describe the changes that we go through when we give our lives to God. Right? He talks in his letters about taking off one way of living and putting on another way of living. Like taking off old clothing and putting on new clothing. And that's the context for my core verse today, which is verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. So the verse starts with therefore, and so once again, we have to look back at Paul's basis for what he tells us to do. Starting at verse 22. He talks about the changes that have taken place in the lives of the Ephesians since their conversion. He said that when they became Christians, they were taught to put away their former way of life and to put on a new self created after the likeness of Christ. Paul isn't saying that they need to clean up their act in order to be Christians. That would be to get things backwards, right? That's not the way it works. He's saying that now that they are Christians... They have access to a new way of living through Christ. One that reflects Christ's character. Christ has pioneered a new way of living. And as they submit their lives to him, by being renewed in the spirit of their minds, they too can walk in that new life. And so can we. He then goes on to address some of the things that may have been appropriate when they were living that other life but really don't belong in the life of a Christian. Like clothes that don't belong in your closet anymore. And we're going to look at just one of them, and that is how we speak to one another, speaking the truth to one another. Now, as I've mentioned before, um, I'm in, a, it's in my habit to um, preach regularly on what I call core texts. Uh, and I think personally that the one another's of the New Testament are among those core texts, so it shouldn't surprise you to know that I've preached a version of this message at some point in the past. However, um, that was before truth became such a politically charged word, Um, before people started describing any report they didn't like as fake news, before the phrase alternate facts was ever uttered, before, people didn't just disagree over the interpretation of the facts, but actually started to live in self-contained bubbles where they were only exposed to facts they agreed with. Before, people could make a fortune out of telling the grieving parents of murdered children that it was all a hoax. So, I actually seriously considered not preaching this message um, because of that whole change of context. But I decided that would be cowardly. However, I'm not going to dive into that whole world of fake news and alternate facts. Not because I don't think it's important to think about those things. I do. But because, for one thing, challenging entire worldviews without alienating people is something that you cannot do in 30 minutes from the pulpit. Okay. Um, that has to be attempted over a long period of give and take in conversation, and even then, I think much of the time, you're, you're going to fail, and you're going to end up not having that agreed understanding of what the reality is. But I also hope that if we choose to live with integrity in our personal lives, we can learn to identify falsehood more easily. Is that me or is that something else? Um, We can can learn to identify falsehood more easily, not just in the world around us, but perhaps even in our own own understanding, our own beliefs. So, Paul tells us to put away falsehood. A number of years ago, um, some people were arrested in Toronto Um, on suspicion of terrorist activities. One of them, who was eventually released, actually made it worse for himself because they had found that he'd given a false address outside of Toronto. As it turned out, he did that in order to get a cheaper insurance rate for his car. (laughs) He gave the impression that everybody does that, right? Right? I don't know if everybody bends the truth to their own benefit. Um, I know there's always a temptation to do that. Um, but it seems that people who never dream of lying to their neighbors are quite happy lying to the government, um, whether it's on the tax forms or other things. But really, I'm not going to talk about lying. I'm talking because speaking the truth to one another goes beyond simply not lying. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that aspect because it's more. There's more to speaking the truth than just factual accuracy. Because we've all heard people speak the truth in harmful and hurtful ways. We've probably done it ourselves. For truth to build people up, it needs to be mixed with grace. So further on down the passage, Paul says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Another translation says evil talk. So what is unwholesome or evil talk? Can true words be evil? Well, how many kids have been hurt by words like, you're fat and ugly and your mother dresses you funny? Right? I remember as a kid being taunted with skinny malinka long legs, umbrella feet, went to the pictures and fell through the seat. Um, any Brits would rec- Only the Brits would recognize that one. Um, it was factually true that I was very skinny. But I'm not sure if that would qualify as speaking the truth. Um, from my perspective, it certainly sounded like evil talk. In chapter 5, Paul says, Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse jesting, which are out of place. So speaking the truth also excludes dirty jokes and foul language. I think this is something that guys have more trouble with than women. Um, I used to work in industry. Uh, worked in a couple of engineering com- engineering companies, and um, just being in that context where there is constant swearing going on, it gets into your head, and it's really hard not to have it come out your mouth. Um, and even some, you know, some guys who never dream of swearing at church can go blue, stre- blue streak at work, where you know there aren't any other Christians. Maybe. Um, so the discipline of reading scripture and prayer can actually go a long way to washing that out of your, your head. I don't know how many of how many of us here are in that kind of a context. But it's important to, to be replacing the words of the world, the, the words of the world, with the words of God. So having dealt with what shouldn't come out of our mouths, Paul turns to what should come out. He says, let the th- Let us speak the truth to our neighbors. That's a quote from Zechariah 8.16. Starting in verse 14, it says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, As I purposed to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, and I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts, so again I have purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and the house of Judah. Fear not. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and for, make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. And love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. Now it's very easy when we read these kinds of things, whether in the Old Testament or the New Testament, um, to start thinking that we have to, as, um, as a, one of my teachers long ago used to say, feel like we have to screw up or will screw. You know, get our will involved here, and you know, we have to work, force ourselves to do this. We do need to do as God tells us, but if you look at the, look at the context here in Zechariah, the prophecy is given in Babylon, just before the return of the exiles. It's less a command than it is a promise. God is saying, "I will bring you back from this place of exile, and place you again in your home." I will be gracious to you, and when you get back to Jerusalem, this is how you will live. See, the sequence in the Bible is always God first. It's always God first. So God acts to bring the people back from Babylon, and then out of that, they live different lives. Does that sound familiar? That's what Paul's been saying. Because Jesus has died and risen again, we can live new lives in him. Same back in Exodus. God first saved the Israelites out of Egypt. Then he taught them how to live. Not the other way around. Okay? Now, I realize this marks me as old. So I'm going to ask how many people here have been water skiing? Water skiing, yes. Because people don't water ski anymore, right? They get on, get on those weird sea do things, right? Anyway. Yeah. Can you water ski without a boat? No? No. When I first arrived in Canada, Marilyn Marilyn and I met in the Netherlands. I'm originally from Scotland. She's from Canada. We met and and got married in the Netherlands, as you do. Um, So so when I first arrived back in Canada, uh, we went up to Marilyn's cottage on the lake. Marilyn's parents' cottage, sorry, her parents' cottage on the lake. And Marilyn tried to teach me to water ski. She'd been water skiing since, I don't know, grade school. And so she was a really good water skier. And she tried to teach me to water ski. Um, and I did get up and get around the lake a couple of times, even although her brother, who was driving the boat, seemed to take great joy in dumping me. <laughs> what I had to do was to learn to hold on tight, keep my arms straight, and stand up as soon as I could. The boat would do the rest, Right? You can't water ski if you just sit in the water and don't try and stand up, right? You have to cooperate with the boat. You can't do it either on your own power. You simply don't have it in you. That's the way it is with living for God. We can't do it by ourselves. We don't have the power. Nor can we just sit and expect something to happen, you know, somehow to be transformed Without our cooperation. If we stand up, God will do the pulling. But if we just think if we think we can just sit in the water and don't do the few things required of us, it can be a very bumpy ride. So Paul quotes this passage from Zechariah not as a way of browbeating the Ephesians, but as a way of referring to that promise that as a result of God's work in our lives what comes out of our mouths will be truth. So what are some examples of speaking truth? Well, let's go back and look at the second part of some of those verses that we read. Verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. The word translated benefit is charis, grace. We talked earlier about the way in which raw truth without any grace or love in it can actually rip right through a person. But Ephesians 4.15 says, but speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Now there are those who have a philosophy that says if you can't see anything nice, don't say anything at all. Um, I'm not suggesting that. There are lots of things that have to be said that aren't nice. Sin needs to be confronted. Abusive people need to be challenged. Unresponsive systems need to be pressed to treat people like people. None of that's nice. But the issue is how do we do that? Do we do it aggressively and destructively, or do we do it with grace and love? Do we communicate to the people that we confront that we care about them as people even if we think what they are doing is wrong or do we wrap ourselves in a sense of right sense of righteous indignation that justifies speaking harsh words let's have our words be words of grace that build up not words that tear down verse 4 of um Chapter 5 says, Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse jesting, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a kind of a chicken and egg thing. Do we give thanks because we're thankful, or do we to remind us to be thankful? In my own experience, I know I find it very easy to forget to be thankful. Although it may seem backwards, turning our mouths to give thanks can open their way for our hearts to be thankful. So often it's only when I sit down and choose to thank God that I start to see all the things that, that I have to be thankful for. Most of the time, I'll be honest, most of the time, if I waited for it to spontaneously bubble out of me, I'd be waiting a long time. Right? I tend to be naturally quite a critical person. You can ask my wife about that. Um, that's but that's the point of that little song, you know, count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Because much of our society is built around making people dissatisfied, right? Making them un- unthankful with what they have. I mean, that's a large part of the advertising industry, to make you dis- dissatisfied with what you have so they can sell you something new, Right? A, thank, a thankful heart and a thankful tongue can actually save you money. Okay? Later on, Paul writes, do not get drunk on wine, except which, sorry, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here is a model for how we should be speaking, using our tongues, speaking to one another. Now, it isn't suggesting that we walk around all day spouting scripture verses and getting on everybody's nerves, okay? This is actually addressed to the church, the gathered community of believers. And so when we come together, our our, our speech should be full of truth, especially the truth about who God is and what he has done. And that is what we do when we sing. When we, sing, when we sing worship songs, what we're doing more than anything else is declaring the truth about God. And um, people have heard me say this before. I, I was a worship leader. I still am kind of, when Jim gives me a shout, um, uh, for many years. And I came to the conclusion that people believe what comes out of their own mouth way more than they believe what comes out of the preacher's mouth. So it's really important as a community that we sing truth that we speak truth because that then gets embedded in our hearts and it has a much deeper impact upon our lives than my 30 minutes of talking up here when actually we we speak out truth and we sing out truth. So speech about God builds up our brothers and sisters in the faith. And that's something that's important to recognize, that we have an impact upon one another. Because the last part of Ephesians 4.25 says, we are members of one body, which is a strange translation in the NIV, because the Greek actually says, we are members of one another. It's that alelon word I talked about at the beginning of the series. So, So we're pretty accustomed to thinking of ourselves as members of the body of Christ, you know what does that mean, right? For one thing, it means that we belong to Christ. You know, we te- we teach our kids this is my body; it belongs to me, right? So we belong to Christ. It also means that we belong to and have a part in something bigger than ourselves, right? So if you're a member of St Paul Union Church, you belong to SPUC in a way that members don't. That's reflected in amongst other things. Being able to vote at meetings on, you know, for the direction the church should take. Okay, so so far so good. I'm comfortable with belonging to Christ. I can handle belonging to a group in which I have some say about where we're going. But Paul says that we are members of one another. That we belong to one another. When I was studying for my bachelor's degree in anthropology, uh, I was in the habit, as I still am of referring to Marilyn as my wife. A large part of that was because we spent a number of years in a very conservative Muslim culture where men, a man just doesn't refer to his wife by name in public. But also because in that culture, like here, um, people are often referred to by their relationship to someone else. You are who you are on the basis of your relationship with other people. Now that really offended one of my female classmates who felt that I should refer to Marilyn by her name, not as my wife. She thought it was demeaning and that I didn't respect Marilyn as a person, like I owned her. My response was, well, she refers to me as my husband. As a married couple, we have chosen to belong to each other, to lay down some aspects of our individualism for a greater good. That's similar to what Paul's saying about the church. Whether we like it or not, we belong to each other. We are members of one another. That means that everything I do as a Christian affects every other Christian, especially those with whom I fellowship most. So, what comes out of my mouth doesn't just affect me, it affects those who hear it, those who it's about and the whole atmosphere of the church. I think that's why Paul ties being truthful to being members of one another. At the most basic level, dealing in falsehoods drives a barrier between people. But at a deeper level, our words can either build people up or tear them down. So we need to watch our tongues and seek to speak words of grace and truth to one another. Because our words have an impact far beyond what we think. This is what we're called to as Christians. To avoid falsehood, evil talk, and obscenity. To speak truth, grace, thanksgiving, and praise. Our words are important. What we say will either build up or tear down those around us. Let's be those who build up. Let's pray. Lord, I know that more than once I have regretted something I've said. More than once, Lord, I've had to ask forgiveness for words I've spoken in haste or in anger. Lord, thank you that there is forgiveness for that. Thank you, Lord, that... Even the act of asking forgiveness can build a relationship deeper than it was before. Lord, we want to be people who speak truth and grace. Partly because it shapes our lives to be like you, but also, Lord, because it impacts those around us and helps them grow and thrive. So help us, Lord, by your grace, by the power of your Spirit, as we yield ourselves to you and cooperate with you that you would control our tongues, control our mouths, Lord. Make us people who speak grace and truth, not just in the church, but to whoever we come in contact with. And Lord, we want to continue to pray for the, the issues in the wider world around us. Lord, we continue to pray for Ukraine, as the, the um bombing program has now shifted to civilian infrastructure and destroying electrical um stations, um people are concerned for the winter. Ukraine can get really cold in the winter. So Lord, we pray for um solutions to this. Lord, thank you for those who are working to to repair systems. And pray that Lord you would give them the the wisdom and the ability to do that, and that people would, would be able to um, find ways around the uh, the lack of electricity this winter. Lord, we continue to pray for Iran and the um the protests there. Lord, I pray that you would bring good out of this, you bring change out of this. Lord, pray particularly for the families, um, the parents, because it's this is mainly led by teenagers and young people. So, Lord, I know they, they must fear for their, their children. So, Lord, we pray for them and pray for their kids. You keep them safe. Lord, we pray for um, Europe as there's a surge in COVID there. Um, that as new strains arise, Lord, that we pray that we wouldn't see a return to the kinds of numbers that we saw last year. Lord, we pray for the UK um, in political chaos. And ask, Lord, um, Lord I, we ask for a move towards stability there. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we can come to you with these things which are way too big for us to even comprehend but we can lift them up to you knowing that you carry them and let's say the lord's prayer together in whatever language you're comfortable with let's pray together our father who art in heaven